0: Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts go deep into the wilderness and tell stories of the paranormal around the campfire. You know, campfire stories can actually be disturbing. For example, I'm thinking about one time where there were two cannibals having a discussion around their campfire. One said, I hate my mother-in-law, to which the other responded, well then, just eat the
1: vegetables. Well, welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'm still Mark, and this is still the podcast. Um, and tonight we're we're talking about stories of, of the strange and unusual um, that, that are gleaned from the internet, that that great source of uh, that great compendium of, of all human knowledge. Uh, and uh, we're going to be sharing some of those stories with who we, uh, that we dug up uh, during the week that we found kind of interesting.
0: Uncle Ray, I'm scared.
1: Don't be scared. It's all just... I uh, can't do it. (laughs) You'll be fine. You'll be fine, kid. We're all going to sleep with the lights on tonight. Mine are are all stories that have been bouncing around on the internet for a while. Uh, Interestingly, a lot of these come from the early days uh, before the World Wide Web when a lot of the stuff was on bulletin board services. I don't know if... Do you remember those, Mark? BBS. Yeah. I, I ran a BBS. WebServe. Yes, okay. in the early days and uh, at, at Rockefeller College. And I was on CompuServe. I was a heavy user of CompuServe. There's CompuServe. There's America Online, which started out as a BBS. Uh, there's Prodigy. And, uh, and people would pay m- rates by the minute to go in and, and access these services. And a lot of them were... Uh, discussion groups, and mm, some of the stories I have now have their origins in these discussion groups. And I got to say, one of the m- more interesting ones I was on on CompuServe was the uh, Encounters group, uh, which was for people who had had uh, alien encounters. Uh, and it was it was fascinating stuff. Uh, and I don't know where it went after CompuServe went away, but uh, uh, the discussions on that board were really interesting. I
0: joined an encounters group on the internet, but my wife got really mad and maced me. <laughs> Come to out, it was different. Uh, uh, no, never uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, more of you have to be very careful on the web. There's more, kinds more of a of lifestyle things. thing. than a, Dark, dark web. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, well, you, you seem to have more than me, so why don't you kick it off? Okay. This
0: one is called... It, what we're doing here is it's like a stories around a campfire. Right? Scary stories around a campfire. That's our metaphor, right? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't use like or as, so um, it's not a simile, it's a metaphor. Uh, our,
1: our framework, our, uh, our archetype. Our, gest- our, archety- our gestalt? Yes, our gestalt. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Anyways, I call this one, We've Been Here Before. And this is from the internet, so it must be true. Absolutely. Several years ago... When my daughter was just over three years old, my husband and I were watching a TV show about 9-11. It was on or around the anniversary of the event. My daughter, who was coloring nearby, looked up when the screen showed a plane hitting one of the World Trade Center buildings. She said to us, I died there. Then she went back to coloring like she hadn't said a word. Now, we had never talked to her about the concept of death. It had never discussed 9-11 with her. But since then, uh, she's not said anything else about it. But if something comes on TV remotely touching on 9-11, she says, I, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Yeah. Wow. wow. That's kind of paranormally. There's more than one case. There's enough of them that you know maybe there's something to it. Who knows? Want me to do another one? I'm going to do one. I'm going to jump no, in here. No, I want to do one. Okay, you all right, do. One. All right. right. All right. That's it, it, all about it's you, it's you, isn't it's your it? your podcast, yeah. too. Okay. Uh, this is a, a sad but absolutely true story of the radioactive Boy Scout. All right. Are you familiar with this one? No. All right. His name was, was David Hahn. He was born October 30th, 1976, in Royal Oak, Michigan. In many ways, kind of a typical kid. I mean, His parents were divorced. He spent some time with his father, some time living with his mother, you know, some days. And uh, he became fascinated with with science and chemistry, and in particular, the Golden Book Chemistry Experiments, which I had that book too. I had a box set of golden science books when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. One of the things he wanted to do early on was to try to collect every element, which is, ironically, something I wanted to do too. Um, And... uh, even the radioactive ones. And uh, he did a lot of experiments at his father's house in his bedroom, uh, which often resulted in things exploding and like acid being spilled on the rug. And his father eventually said, look, you can't do that stuff here anymore. So he started doing it in his mother's potting shed. As he was working on his way up to becoming an Eagle Scout, he earned an atomic energy merit badge. And at one point he became very interested in building a breeder reactor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when he's, now he's still in high school, and he starts to collect um, radioactive samples of things. So, he's getting americium from smoke detectors. He's getting thorium from camping lanterns. He's getting radium from clock dials. He's getting tritium from gun sights. And he bought some very low-grade uranium ore from an Eastern European source. So, he's assembling all these things... He bought like $1,000 worth of lithium batteries to get the lithium to refine some of these. He built um, his reactor chamber out of a hollowed out block of, of lead. So he, he's got all these you know, kind of low level radioactive uh, isotopes just thrown all together and, and hoping to create a, um, a critical mass for a sustained reaction to make heavier elements. It didn't work. Uh, he never had enough for a critical mass, but it, it did get progressively more radioactive in the area to the point where it was starting to scare him. He was only using minor precautions like a lead apron, and uh, he noticed uh, he had a Geiger counter and he noticed the radiation levels around the shed were getting higher. Then, then at one point, he noticed that five doors down from his house, the radiation levels were elevated. So he was radiating his whole neighborhood. So he started to get scared about it, uh, and he decided that uh, he couldn't conduct this experiment anymore. It seems to be getting out of hand, so he starts to break things down. And I guess at this point, as he's loading stuff in the trunk of his car with his you know, lead apron on and probably goggles and a mask and gloves, somebody called the police department and say, hey, there's something weird going on in this neighborhood. So the police show up, and they start to search his car. And when they open the trunk, he's got a a toolbox that's taped shut. he said, that's radioactive. You don't want to touch it. At which point, the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the Department of Energy get called. And they come down, and they find that the uh, radiation level uh, around the shed is 1,000 times what background level should be. Mm. So the whole thing needs to be decontaminated. Uh, It's declared a Superfund waste site. Uh, They have to pack up everything in the shed take the shed down, take all the dirt out in the backyard, and, uh, and just just dismantle and clean everything. Now, his mother had started to worry about things a little bit before this, and she had been disposing of some of his stuff just in the regular municipal waste. So, so David uh, refused medical attention, didn't want to be evaluated for radiation exposure. And things kind of go on from that. He goes back to school, and then things... Take a really sad turn. He breaks up with his girlfriend. His mother commits suicide. He's kind of lost. He, you know, had enrolled in in community college and wasn't really going anywhere. So he signed up to, uh, to go into the Navy, hoping to work on nuclear reactors in the Navy. And he's assigned to the uh, USS Enterprise, which is a nuclear carrier. Uh, but he's just um, he's assigned to communications, so he, did, you know, he doesn't have to isn't working with any any of the reactors or anything. So th- he he goes from there. He goes into the uh, he's in the navy for four years. He's in the marine corps for two. He ends up getting a medical discharge. And then in uh, in, in two thousand and seven, he was at it again. He was uh, caught stealing smoke detectors from apartment buildings. He was trying to amass another uh, nuclear pile. So he's arrested, and there's a very eerie photo of his uh, his mug where he's got just bruises or, or scabs or something over in his entire face. And it's unclear if that was from drug use or uh, or from radiation poisoning. Uh, he, he, he dies in 2016 uh, at age 39. Um, and, and the cause of death was alcohol poisoning. But it's really unknown if, if all the exposure to radiation uh, had affected his health because uh, he never allowed that to be... Uh, to be uh, evaluated. So it, it's a it's a true story. It's sad, but uh, you know anyone could do that. Really, I mean the the sources of radiation he was he was digging up are, are all there today. I mean there's still radioactive samples, uh, small amounts of americium and smoke detectors, and in uh, you know thorium and uh, and lantern mantles. It, it, it's out there.
0: No, I, I thought the scary part was joining the Navy. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, no, that's weird. Yeah. I yeah, we got to do some, uh, well, I was going to say we got to do a show sometime, but uh, the story of the Radium Girls, that's really sad. Yes, yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. Some wow. of that happened
1: in my hometown. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh? Sessions a Clock Company. Connecticut was really big with the clock industry, and there were two clock factories in my hometown oh my gosh. which is also the home of the uh clock museum and uh yeah the, some of that that occurred there and there's a, a couple superfund sites around bristol related to radium paint Wow. Well, do not want to be sticking that in your mouth no no you don't well. but you know mm-hmm. it, it was uh it was like a miracle cure uh back before they understood it i mean they used to put it in in cosmetics they put it in toothpaste oh, yeah. you know <laughs> it's crazy
0: yeah, and, and there's films like after World War II of uh, you know the whole idea is we need to be able to operate in a nuclear environment. You know when we're you know shelling each other with nuclear stuff. And so you put troops out there. Let's see what it does to the troops. Right. You know it's like oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and those those eerie pictures of the uh, the test sites where they set up houses with mannequins. Yeah. Like, like like close to Ground Zero, and they just film what happened to them.
0: And they're, they're testing paints to see if certain paints will protect the houses. And it's like they just get blown
1: away. right. And, and there's live livestock right. in the area oh, too, on purpose. That's just that's just yeah. sad. Yeah.
0: Gosh, would well, you want to hear my next one?
1: <sighs> okay. My- <laughs> I'm going to be so depressed by the end of this.
0: Well, these are just scary. I mean, yours are like sad. I know. You know it's like, yeah. this is like, this, but this is scary. Okay. This this one's called grandmother. So a woman's mother was ill and living with her daughter and she ultimately uh, died in the guest room of the house. Mm -hmm. So years later, the uh, daughter had a child of her own, a girl, a little girl, but um, one odd event kept happening in the guest room is the bulbs would burn out in the lamps really quickly. Um, And so when the daughter was about three years old, she walked into the guest room while the mother was complaining about always have to, having to change bulbs in the room. And uh, later that day, the little girl asked, "Who was that with you?" And the mother said, "What are you talking about?" And the little girl clarified, "That woman's sitting next to you on the bed."
1: Ah, <gasps> ooh. <laughs> they, 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 I've heard that the kids can see things like that. I mean, that this kind of, kind of part of the folklore of, of ghosts and hauntings. The, the kids, yeah, kids are sensitive to that. Yeah, I thought that was scary. You want to go for another one? I'll go for another one. Have from you, heard, you or me? From me. Okay, from yeah, you. From me. And it's then, your well, show. Then, t- then you. It's, <laughs> it's your show too. Then you can do. Then you can do a couple. <laughs> okay. All right. Have you heard about Mothman? Long time ago. Yeah, in uh, West Virginia folklore.
0: Hold on well, a second. Everyone, hide your sweaters. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: Now <laughs> it's a public service <laughs> announcement. <laughs> in West Virginia folklore, uh, Mothman is a uh, humanoid cryptid who was first, who's reportedly seen around the uh, Point Pleasant area. Um, the f- famous sighting was uh, was in November of 1966, and he's described as being seven feet tall and having a ten foot wingspan. And two large, kind of saucer-shaped, red, glowing eyes. Now that they're sometimes described as not like being in in his head, but like more like in his chest area. Like doesn't have a distinct head, just kind of like a head and shoulders, kind of all in one piece thing. And uh, he was found around the sightings in uh, in Point Pleasant. He was spotted in what was known as the TNT area, which is the site of a former World War II munitions plant. So there's some sort of theories that you know, he, he's a product of, you know, the chemicals used on that plant or you know uh, in that area. But he's most famous for for being present around uh, the collapse of a bridge in the area, uh, Silver Bridge, uh, which killed 46 people. It happened during rush hour, and there were reports of him being seen on or near the bridge, like immediately before and during the collapse. So there's there's some debate as to whether he he's a, a herald of of bad events and, and warns about them, or maybe he's the cause of those events. Because mm. it, it's not just that one spot where where he's been seen. He's been he's been spotted before a, a collapse of a, a German mine in in uh, nineteen seventy eight. A bunch of workers were going to the mine and they were confronted by this strange creature in a trench coat uh, who kind of looked like a man, but when they got closer, they realized. Uh, He was a creature with huge wings, uh, didn't have, looked like he didn't have a head, but had two large glowing eyes on what seemed to be his chest, and Mm. they stood by the entrance of the mine, looking at the creature, who let out a terrifying scream that made them run away from the mine, and an hour later, the mine collapsed. Wow. So, uh, yeah, there's also uh, reports of this, the same, a similar creature showing up right before Chernobyl blew up, before uh, Fukushima reactor blew up. And also, there's some you know, 9-11 Twin Towers reports hmm. that, uh, that several people saw a strange flying creature near the Twin Towers.
0: Now, you, you know what that sounds almost like, is that there, is there, there are um, legends about, and you've probably seen them too, but about, or, or seen the legends, about um, like these shadowy figures. And it's it, typically they're around before some horrific event happens. And it's almost like they feed off the energy, the fear. You know, so it's like if you're going to die a normal death, they wouldn't be there. But if right. there's something really fearful and really horrible, they just like group there like fruit flies, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, that sounds very much of that school of thought. That's pretty spooky.
1: Down in, uh, in West Virginia and Point Pleasant, it's, it's a big thing. They have uh, annual mothman festival and uh and parade and there's a statue there john keel who you may name may be familiar from like late night talk radio who's into a lot of this uh paranormal stuff wrote the book the mothman prophecies in in 1975 and that was made i heard about that yeah it was made into a movie with richard Gere, and uh, so it's a thing um and and, you know there's, there's still debate today is is he is he good? Is he bad? Uh, is he causing these things? Is he warning the, uh, people about them? Uh, but again, it's one of those things that it is not limited to a particular culture or mindset. He's, things like this have appeared all over the world. Mm. Mm. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy.
0: Ready for another one? Yeah, let's go. This one's called The Closet. In 2002, I lived in an apartment building that dates back to about 1900. After I moved in, I realized that the kitchen and the living room felt fine, but the bathroom and the bedroom were unnerving places. In those rooms, I always felt like I was being watched, particularly in the bedroom if the closet was open because the closet seemed to be the the most unpleasant place. That feeling of discomfort in those rooms just got stronger over time. One night when I was sleeping, there was a loud bang at my bedroom door. I got up, only to find that all the doors and windows were locked so I was alone in the apartment. I always kept my closet door closed, as not only did it make me feel uncomfortable, but if I went into the closet, I felt like I was gasping for air. A month or so after I heard the bang on my door, I was asleep, but then woke up to feel pressure on me as if someone was holding me down. It was dark in my bedroom, but I could feel a presence and I knew someone was holding me down. When I could finally turn on a bedroom lamp, um, no one was there. After that, I couldn't sleep in the bedroom without leaving a light on. When I had friends over, they too felt uncomfortable in the bedroom and particularly unnerved near or in the closet. I was so upset by these occurrences that as soon as I had a chance to move to a different apartment in the building, uh, I did so immediately. After I left, several other people rented that apartment, but they never stayed long. I became friendly with the building manager, so I told him that I thought the apartment was haunted, and he kind of laughed it off. Uh, Sometime later, they were renovating the place and the building manager was there doing some painting in the apartment. And the building owner was there also, so I struck up a conversation with him and I also mentioned about my experiences and that I thought the place was haunted. Uh, He really looked surprised and told me that a former tenant committed suicide in that closet by hanging himself. And he also mentioned that the original designer of the building lived in that apartment and he died in the apartment. Mm. Um, That made me feel validated that what I
1: experienced was real. Wow. Is that a, tr- a true story? It's on the internet. It must be. It must be. No, I mean, it's it's presented as a as a, as a true story. That's right. Yeah. Wow. All these, are, all these are supposed to be true.
0: Wow. Paranormal stories.
1: Yeah. Again, that's, that's one of those things you, you hear about every once in a while that makes you wonder, well, you know, something's going on here. Something mm-hmm. that we can't explain. Wow. Got another yeah. one? Yeah. Got another one? Yeah, I do. All right. I call this
0: one The Attic. A few years ago, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment in a building that had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there for a few months when I came home from work one day, and I went into the bathroom, and I saw something strange. There was this wooden board that had covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space, but the board was fractured in two pieces on the floor. The board was about an inch thick, so it would take an awful lot of strength to break it. So I thought the landlord had sent someone to work in the attic while I was out. Um, cause I was just frozen stiff with fear. Somebody's up there for sure. I thought, so I emailed pictures to the landlord and I asked if anyone had been there, um, and I was slightly annoyed that she hadn't warned me, but her reply read, please call me as soon as you're able to. I called and she explained that her last two tenants had said the same type of thing happened, but she promised to replace the board and she did. A month later i woke up one night feeling as if somebody had rubbed their hands on me everything was silent but then i heard a dragging sound coming from above my bed it was as if somebody was pulling a sack of potatoes across the attic floor i froze convinced somebody was up there there was no way an animal could make that sound after five minutes i worked up the courage to turn on the light and I walked to the bathroom. And that's when I saw that the new board covering the hole was again broken. I felt sick. The dragging sound had stopped, but then I heard something else, whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic and it sounded like children's voices. And I could hear one sentence repeated over and over again. It's your turn. It's your turn. I just grabbed my car keys, ran out, sat in my car. And waited there until the sun came up. So about eight o'clock in the morning, I called the landlord and gave her a watered-down version of the night. And her reaction was, "Oh wow, you heard the whispering too." Um, although I live, I live elsewhere now. The landlord recently called, and she said that her new tenants were, were really begging to speak with me about the stuff that's been going on there. Forget it; it's their problem now.
1: Wow. Ooh. All right, that got me looking around the room, and and, (laughs) and, and, oh gosh,
0: I know some more West Virginia folklore stories that (laughs) will get us canceled by the FCC. (laughs) 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 We're not that kind of show. Uh, All right, one more from me. Yeah. Okay, I call this one "Little Girl Wants Mom." Four years ago, I lived in a large old farmhouse that had been converted into two apartments. The house had once been a facility for children with behavioral issues. I lived there with my boyfriend and three-year-old daughter. My bedroom had a large fireplace in it that had long since been sealed and painted over. I decided to push my bed up against it one day while I was rearranging things because I could use the fireplace as kind of a headboard of sorts. That night, I heard my daughter come up to the bed, and in a quiet voice, she kept saying, Mom, Mom, Mommy. I sat up in bed, but the bedroom was dark, and I couldn't see her. So I started reaching down off the side of the bed and at the foot of the bed, searching for her, so I could get her into bed with us. Um, I could hear the voice, but I couldn't find her. My boyfriend wakes up and asks me, what the heck am I doing? And I explained that Amelia was trying to get up in bed with us and I was reaching for her, but there was no one there. As it turned out, my daughter was sound asleep in her own room. The next night I was unsettled and couldn't sleep at all. I hear the dog asking to go out. So uh, I got up to let him out and I came back to bed. Um, I closed my eyes. I feel my boyfriend lay down next to me. I could feel the mattress compress and I opened my eyes and he's not there. He, he hasn't gone to bed yet. Then I feel the mattress decompress, <laughs> um, as if whatever it was got back out of bed. And so the next day, I moved the bed to the other side of the room, and it never happened again.
1: Wow. <sighs> wow. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. What do you got? All right. The, uh, the curious story of John Teeter. I don't know if you've you've heard that name, but. I have heard the name somewhere, but I forget the story. Yeah, it's a pseudonym used on several bulletin boards in 2000 and 2001, claiming to be a military time traveler from uh, 2036. In 1998, uh, late-night para- paranormal talk show host Art Bell received two faxes from an individual claiming to be a time traveler. and uh, West of the Mississippi. Yes. Told. So the first fax talked about how they discovered time travel in the year uh, 2034 and he had also claimed that there's a brick wall that you could not go forward in the timeline past 2564. I don't know if that means that time ends then or, or what? And the second facts uh, detailed some of the specs of his time machine. His, his premise was that uh, he claimed to be an American soldier based in Tampa, Florida and was assigned to a government time travel project and sent back to 1975 to retrieve an IBM 5100 computer which it was a, uh, it ran APL and BASIC, it was a little portable computer, well it wasn't little, they were pretty big back then and the reason for getting it was to debug various legacy computing programs in in 2036 which could be a reference to the UNIX uh, year 2038 problem uh, which has to do with how, the, how it's stored in 32-bit systems, uh, the way Unix was set up that they would no longer calculate the years correctly after that. But he said he was stopping by 2000 and 2001 just as a personal side trip before he had to leave. He, he did have some, some vague predictions of the future and uh, some pretty specific ones. One of the things that was intriguing was his description of the time machine involved two kind of micro singularities. uh, And he said it was built by GE, which is kind of funny. But the principles on which this machine operated clashed with quantum theory uh, as it existed uh, at the time. And it wasn't until 2004 that Stephen Hawking reviewed uh, some of his theories about uh, black holes and Hawking radiation that actually put the current theory in line with what uh, teeter was saying now some of the stuff didn't come true he was talking about uh, a civil war breaking out in the United States after an election he said that would happen in, in 2005 which of course hasn't happened mm. but he but he also said that we've uh, come close <laughs> we've come close he said that you know the United States would divide into like five different camps and that uh, but he said that just him being here will alter the timeline a little bit actually he calls it a world line and he, kind of in in line with the multi multiverse uh, theory of things but he said that uh, him being there probably altered it about 2.5%. He has since totally disappeared. No one's heard from him uh since, since his last last contact uh in the early 2000s. But also no one's no one's come forward and claimed responsibility for it. Uh he just literally just disappeared and uh has not been heard from since. It's kind of a, wow. Kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. That's slightly creepy. But he talked about, you know, quantum theory and World War III and, and mad cow disease and uh, who knows. But, you know, just an interesting interesting thing that was floating around discussion groups back in the day. Time, time travel's interesting, inherently interesting. Yes, it
0: is. Okay. Ready for another one? I'm ready for another one. This one's called The Boy With No Eyes. Ooh, it's from Reddit. So, you know, it's got to be true. Right. One night when I was 10, I was woken up by my bedroom door opening, followed by someone sitting on the edge of my bed. He yeah, recalls a childhood brush with a very persistent, ghostly apparition. I felt my leg grazed and the bed sink under a person's weight. It's just mom, I thought. And I opened my eyes, but it was not my mom. I found an eyeless boy, he had black, empty sockets, and he was about my age, sitting at the foot of my bed. He extended his hand, and in it was a little box. I started to reach out, but he pulled back, and then I blinked, and when I reopened my eyes, he was gone, but I could still see the imprint where he had sat on my bed. Fast forward five years, I have my girlfriend over to do homework. Uh, She opens her eyes suddenly and with a real frightful expression, she looks up at a corner where the wall meets the ceiling. She pointed up there and she says, up on the wall, I saw a little boy, but he had no eyes. He was just staring at me, which I wonder how you do with no eyes, but I guess somebody points their sockets at you. Mm. I freaked out and told her my story of the same kind when I was a kid. Five years later, um, I had married the girlfriend We're still living in my parents' house. We had a two-year-old. My daughter started waking up at the same time every night, and she'd talk. After a while, I noticed she'd have almost the same conversation every night. And so I playfully asked her once who she was talking to. And she said, it's a little boy. He's nice, but he's lost, and he's looking for his
1: mommy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I got I got chills on that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know there is again. This ties to something that's that's in the the paranormal folklore. Uh, black-eyed children, where they just kind of show ah. up like at your doorstep. Oof. Yeah. Creepy. I have two stories left. Okay. I've got two left. Okay. Uh, let me uh, let me go with one that that happened mm-hmm. uh, last week to me. The, the week before we had that really bad ice storm. My driveway was covered with ice, and it just froze over. And it was like ice two to three inches thick in spots. So there's just no way I could just remove it all. Because it, it got, you know, it. we had all that sleet and freezing rain, and then it just got really, really cold. So it just was frozen solid to the, the driveway. So I'd gone out shopping one night. I come back, and I pull my car in. And I go inside and then put the groceries away, and then I have to take out the trash. So I open the garage door... And as I'm opening the garage door, I look where my car is parked in the driveway, and the car starts moving. It starts like bouncing up and down pretty violently, and then it just lurches forward a little bit. Hmm. And I, it, it really freaked me out because it just seemed like it was moving way more than it should have been moving. Like almost like there was someone jumping up and down on the bumper and, and then hmm. giving it a big shove.
0: And it certainly wasn't like sputtering or coughing and still running.
1: No, it, it was. Yeah. It was definitely not running and. I stood there for a minute and I said, well, I just got to check this out. Maybe I, maybe I didn't uh, put it in park or something. So I walked up to the car. I thought, this is stupid. I should not manage. I should be moving in the other direction. And wow. opened the, the door, the you know, driver's door, and the car's in park. There's no keys in it. It's just, uh, I, I don't know. It may have been like some of the ice the car was sitting on, Just just the vibrations from opening the garage door made it crack and it kind of fell down. Into a you know little ice bridge broke, but
0: but that would have been that would have been one movement though. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, because th- this seemed like it was really moving a lot. It was, <laughs> it really freaked me out because uh, when I first you know when I first looked at it, I thought it was going to come right through the, the garage the, the way it was moving. But you've
0: had other experiences in that house, right?
1: We we have had other experiences. Yes, yes, we have with a little one, right? mm Hmm. Well. According to an encounter I had with uh, in a dream, she only appears as a little girl.
0: Uh, ah, but she's not a little girl. So she could technically have the strength to
1: wobble your car. Uh, she she could, <laughs> if, if she's mastered that skill. Ooh, that yeah. is creepy. Yeah, so I I don't know, but if it was the ice, then it would have had to been thick enough to hold the car up in the first place, and then it, it, it couldn't have dropped too far. It was just like, you know, two The most it could have dropped is maybe an inch, maybe an inch and a half on one wheel. So It, it didn't seem to correspond to the, the amount of movement I was seeing in the car, if that was the case.
0: Well, this one is true in the sense that it comes from my family it comes from my daughter who swears it's true and what's interesting is it deals with a military installation that i was assigned to and that place was just a magnet for weirditude um you know i was talking to uh very senior officers who talked about i mean i I think on our ghost episode i talked about uh, events in my office um, But I've had very senior officers talk about being woken up in the middle of the night in their quarters because their china cabinet is just banging off the wall, banging off the wall, like dishes are are, are you know falling and stuff like that. R- very strong. So, anyways, um, and the, the installation has an interesting history. I mean, part of Custer's unit uh, was there for a while. Wow. After. You know, probably after little bighorn. But um but part of Custer's unit was there. And then uh, you know, the nineteen eighteen flu epidemic, uh they were kind of using that as a mass casualty site. So the old hospital there is is very active. Um, but anyways, um this one I call the Little Girl of Youth Services. So on this military installation, there was a youth services building uh, for the kids. Think of it as a uh, a building that has controlled access to a large fenced-in area that contains soccer fields, basketball courts, a skate park, that kind of thing. Um, big installations have a lot of kids, and you know they're looking for things that'll keep them busy and out of mischief. And so, um, my wife and I and my my girls uh, used youth services a lot. We volunteered there a good deal. My daughters volunteered there a good deal, played soccer there. So And we were friends with the staff. So my daughter says that uh, on one night, the youth services worker that she was working with was closing up for the evening. So they were the only two ones in the, in the youth services building. And while the adult was checking the doors, my daughter went to the front desk to pick a few things up. And at the front desk, you can see the TV security monitors that are wired to all the cameras outside. And there's a one camera that monitored the fence line right near the building. And they had already checked the field to make sure none of the kids were still out there playing. But my daughter says that in on the TV screen, um, there was a little girl, you know, about seven, eight years old. And she's looking up at the camera and she's jumping up. You know, and trying to grab it. And so, she, you know, my daughter told the adult worker and they went outside and nobody was there. And so, a few days later, my daughter was talking about the story to another youth services worker adult and uh, he was really interested and he said, what, what TV screen did you see this on? And so, my daughter points out the screen and then he says, C- come on with me, check this out. And they go out to where the camera is located. And right on the ground near there is a, a little memorial to uh, a little girl that's dedicated wow. to her because she got sick and wow. passed away. The first thought was, uh, I guess somebody was out there playing, but it's like they're kind of young. You know, I, I thought the place was clear because you always check that before you secure the building. Um, and then you have the cameras on the fence line to make sure kids aren't jumping a fence and stuff like that. Um, th- but then I asked my daughter, you know, I just said, well, what was she wearing? Because I'm kind of waiting for her. yeah, she's right. dressed in this 1800s dress, you know, everything's from the 1800s. But she goes, no, no, I mean it was modern, modern clothes, um, you know, wow. shorts, t-shirt kind of thing. And I said, I said was it just kind of like a hazy, blobby figure. She goes, oh no, I mean it was it was clear enough where you know if you showed me a photograph of the girl, I would tell wow. you whether or not that was a match
1: or not. Project Serpo. Project Serpo. Project well, Serpo. it has to do with the, uh, the Roswell crash, the famous Roswell crash, which was not Ooh. a single ship but two ships uh, colliding with each other. Uh, there was one survivor who uh, was taken into custody, uh, was friendly, was of a race that be, they called themselves the Ebens, and they were from the planet Zeta Reticuli. Well, they're in the Zeta Reticuli system. The name of the planet was Serpo. And they were kind of your typical, you know, gray aliens, and supposedly they arranged an exchange program where where one uh, of the Ebens um, would stay uh, with the U.S. military, and twelve astronauts were were trained to go and live for it was supposed to be ten years, but ended up being thirteen years on planet Serpo, which. No, uh, the planet itself mm. is, is supposed to be about 40 light years from Earth, uh, and they completed the trip in about 9 or 10 months because they had a you know, faster-than-light uh, drive uh, that worked on antimatter. According to the the stories, they got back in 1978. Two people died uh, while, while on uh, planet Serpo, and two people elected to stay there. Uh, they described society as very peaceful, very egalitarian, but with really bad tasteless food, and, and they you know, they worked on growing their own food there because their supplies ran out after a couple of years. Now they supposedly uh, were kept in isolation until 1984, at which point they had a, a major debriefing. Supposedly somebody had access to the tapes uh, that were part of this debriefing, and put together a 3,000 page Project SERPO report. In, uh, in 2005, on a website, a person claiming to be a retired senior US official with the Defense Intelligence Agency, referring to himself as anonymous, started uh, releasing parts of this report. And that website is still up, it's serpo.org. And there's a, a mm. lot of information there describing uh, the project describing uh, life on that planet uh, one of the more interesting sections describes the known aliens in the universe uh, you know the ones that are that are uh, helpful the ones that are dangerous uh, it's interesting a lot of them seem to be uh, genetically engineered versions of the the ebens from uh, serpo but originally, this, wow. um, someone from the Army had to approach uh, Linda Moulton Howell, who you probably know from Art Bell show, and was supposed to like deliver a lot of this information, but got called away at the last minute, and they decided that they weren't going to reveal this information. And then later on, this, uh, the, this website popped up, and uh, there was a progressive release of information. And some of it's pretty weighty. Some of it, maybe that there's some inconsistencies, but it, it's an interesting read. I you know I, I don't know that there's anything compelling to think that it's real, but somebody certainly spent a lot of time putting this together. Wow, interesting. You know, if you take a look at that, I'd be interested if if any of it sounds like it's legitimate military stuff, because that, that's some of the criticism of it. Okay. All right, I'll take a look and see what I think. Yeah. Serpo.org.
0: Okay. We'll talk. We'll talk about it after our broadcast. Okay. Because we're live, you know, we're live on the air. Right, right, right. Before the campfire.
1: I I hope we don't crash the site.
0: Yeah. All our listeners. I'm too scared to make s'mores now. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. Hope I don't wet the sleeping bag. (sighs) I call this one The Little Hands. And this is the one I'll close with. Okay. It's from Reddit, so you know it's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've never lived in a haunted house, but my mother did as a teen, um, a few homes away from her, there lived a family. And, uh, one night the daughter went to bed with a bad headache and the next day she was dead overnight. She had passed away from an undi- undiagnosed aneurysm after her funeral, uh, the family went away to get their minds off the tragedy and the father, um, asked my uncle, my mom's brother, Uh, to check on their pets my mom and dad who were dating at the time because my dad was in veterinary school um, went with him and my my mother had heard there was a grand piano and she wanted to try playing it at the house after entering the house my uncle and my father headed to the basement uh, to take care of the animals and my mother headed to the piano on the ground floor She was playing it when she felt something brush her ankles and she figured a cat must have left the basement and walked past her. And so she kept playing and then she felt it again. She looked under the piano and saw nothing. When she started to play again, she felt hands clasp her ankles really tightly. So she dashed to the basement door, uh, called my uncle and my father and waited for them. Uh, the uncle could tell my mom was really rattled and asked her what was wrong. And so she told him what would happen, and then he just turned white. He uh, he told her that the daughter who had died used to play a game with her father. When he played the piano, she'd crawl underneath, grab his ankles, and push his feet up and down on the pedals.
1: <sighs> well, I got, I got to chill on that one, too. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I did good work. Yeah, those are those are good. I find creepy
0: stuff, <laughs> and we gotta we gotta sleep tonight. Here we are out in the mountainside.
1: I man, know, man. Yeah, it's gonna be a long night. I think so. I'm gonna sleep with the lantern on, or you know, have a few beers. But then then you end up getting abducted after a couple of beers. You know, <laughs> that's how that works. That's right. You know how that works, and you know what they're interested <laughs> in, and it's not that's your right. horoscope. Yeah, oh. That's right. Oh, that's when the anal stuff. Starts. That's right. <laughs> Ask me about my butt. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, there's kind of a common theme through all these stories. And they all mesh with the urban folklore, urban legends, paranormal um, mythology. And they all scare the crap out of me. There is some internal consistency uh, with all of them. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. These are the things that literally keep us up at night. They do. They do. (laughs) And
0: it's probably too late to ever change. Now, my sister, my sister used to be able to. She lived by herself, and she used to be able to read these like horror novels and sleep like a baby. And I said, I don't get it. Wow. <laughs> I yeah. don't get it because yeah. you know I read something spooky and like every light is on and the TV is on because everybody knows that uh, you're you're protected from demonic forces if your lights are on. Absolutely, they they can't manifest. Ooh. You know. Um, There was an interview one time with Stephen King and they asked him, you know, how do you know when you're writing something that's going to resonate with readers? Because everybody has a different sensing of what they find scary. And he goes, how do you how do you do that for like the mass market? And he goes, "Uh, you know, when you're in bed at night. And your foot dangles off the edge of the bed, and you know it's fine, but you just pull it in anyways. He goes, "That's what I'm aiming at." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was brilliant. Wow.
1: Well, that was a, a terrifying evening. Yes,
0: it was. <laughs> but that was that's the purpose of this podcast. That's right. To to keep people emotionally disturbed. <laughs>
1: Well, no, it can it can be fun to be be scared in, in a safe situation.
0: That's right. So that's what the whole campfire thing is all about. Yeah. So again, we're going to douse this campfire and go to bed oh, now.
1: Let's yeah, let's let's uh, pour some water on it, stir the ashes, and uh, we'll, we'll take up again sometime.
0: Only you can prevent forest fires.
1: You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick podcast. Join us again. We'll leave the nightlight on.